1: Welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk post game podcast. F Browns beat the Cincinnati Bengals 41-16 on Sunday. This is Doug Maurice, along with Scott Patsko, Mary Kay Cabot, Dan Lobby and Ashley Bastock. We're going to run through what matters most from this game and I will say I'm a little conflicted about talking about this game because on one hand obviously the Browns doing this after the week of Odell Beckham is a huge sort of emotional sort of you know on the side kind of thing. Then there was also a lot of really good football things they did and taking the ball away and hitting some big plays. But but I think people want to know what we think first about doing this after Odell. Mary Kay, is this? did this happen because Odell Beckham Jr. is no longer here? Or did it at least happen because this weird stuff happened and it forced the team to rally together. Or did was this coincidental that they were just going to play this kind of football regardless of what happened with Odell Beckham Jr. this week?
2: You know what? I, I think it was a combination of two things. I think you take the whole Odell Beckham thing, which I do think galvanized the team and helped them pull together and rally around each other and for sure rally around Baker Mayfield, their embattled quarterback. Uh, And then the other part of it is Kevin Stefanski, Coming out and using some really strong words this week. Our lives depend on beating the Bengals. We are desperate. I mean, how often do you hear a coach saying those kinds of things? And that's the message that he drilled into their heads is you guys have to win this football game basically or else. And so I think it was a convergence of those two dynamics. And this is a team that plays, uh, it can get very emotional. And we saw that in the wildcard playoff victory over the Steelers last year. They worked themselves up into an unbelievable frenzy. Uh, this was the defensive performance that, that I think that all Browns fans and coaches and players have been waiting to see. Takeaways, big plays, passes broken up. Um, you know, this, this is sat, five sacks. Uh, You know, and I I know that Jamar Chase did not play well, but I think that the Browns had a lot to do with him not playing well. Um, So I just think that it was those two things. I I think that Odell leaving had a lot to do with it. It was time to circle the wagons and show Baker Mayfield. We are here for you. We've got your back. We know where you're going to take us and we're going right along with you. And then the Kevin thing.
1: Dan, you've been covering this team for a long time as well. Did, did you, did you get that sense? Did you think, cause here's the thing. There's one thing of say, um, you know, say Odell had just tripped over a curb and broken his ankle and was like, Oh man, I can't play the rest of the year, but he wasn't here. Right. He's gone. And then there's whatever effect there is on the offense, but it wasn't sort of this emotional thing like that. Was it important that it be something that sort of forced the team to rally, or do you think there was something to the idea of Odell just not being here, regardless of why he wasn't here?
3: Well, I, I it didn't feel like, I, I do think it sort of helped galvanize the team a little bit. I, I do think that, and, and Mary Kay, you're right about that Pittsburgh game. I don't think this was quite to that level, but we have seen Kevin be able to sort of motivate this team and get them fired up. But I do think the most important thing he did was come out publicly to us, like you mentioned, and say, this team is desperate. Say what he said on Wednesday, because what that did was that just sent the message. We don't care about this Odell stuff because we knew all, we all knew what was going to happen on Wednesday. We all knew as soon as he said that Odell and his and Andrew Barry were talking or whatever, Odell's representatives and Andrew Barry were talking, we all knew it was over. So I think Kevin sort of focusing everything on the Bengals publicly, not, not, and I'm sure he was saying even more stuff behind the scenes, really sort of set the tone for this game. I think this win is as much about Kevin Stefanski as anybody else. He really made sure that this team was focused on what they needed to do. I mean, I can't imagine how Freddie Kitchens or Greg Williams or Hugh Jackson or Pat Shermer just go through the list of Browns coaches in the past, how they would have handled this week and how this team would have come out in this game. This, this to me, and I feel like I've said this a few times this year, this to me was a Kevin Stefanski type of win where he set the tone
1: and the team followed him. Scott, can we, the the football aspect of it, how did they, I tried to count up the receiver snaps during the game. I came up with something like Jarvis played 30, Anthony Schwartz and Donovan Peoples-Jones each played 27. I'm sure that was a little bit off. I'm terrible at math. But the general thing was, those were the three guys they played. They barely played Rashard Higgins. They played a decent amount of one receiver, three tight ends, but they also put out three receivers together quite a bit, actually. They definitely used that look. What did you think from a football standpoint of how they did now that Odell Beckham Jr. Is not part of the offense? Was there, was there any kind of fundamental shift or did you feel anything that was good or bad about him not being out there?
4: After the, the first quarter, or I guess really after their first drive, I texted out to the, our football insider subscribers. And I'm like, if you want to know what life without OBJ was going to be like, it's going to look a lot like it did before he left. Because at that point, Nick Chubb had two catches Austin Hooper had two catches and I think the Joku had a target and that was it for passing. So it's not like the receiver suddenly came to life and, and, and did things differently. I mean, Landry had five targets. Uh, DPJ had three. They topped the list. That's, I mean, they threw 21 times. They ran 23 times. It really looked like, like Dan said, it looked like a Kevin Stefanski game. It was, we're going to remember the big catch by people's Jones. We're going to remember some of those passes just because they were big and led to scores or worse scores. But really when you just kind of step back and look at how this team played, it's, this is how, you know, they've had success last season. And I don't see the receivers suddenly making a huge jump in impact just because OBJ is gone.
1: No, I said, I sort of was counting receiver targets for this game. And then I said, and I'm never counting receiver targets again because mm-hmm. that's that's where we are now. So they just just play football and maybe that's I obviously OBJ cared about that. I think reasonably so, but I just think you know we're all past that. Baker's going to throw to the guy who's open and and away the offense goes. Ashley, that post game, Baker Mayfield came in. Miles Garrett came in. Nick Chubb came in. John Johnson the 3rd came in. And what we heard from from Kevin Stefanski, what was your f- vibe? that you got from hearing those guys talk about what this team did to get this win on Sunday?
0: For me, I think it was a combination of relief and confidence. Like I I really do think, obviously we talked about this, I think before on one of our podcasts that the narrative could change so quickly with the win today. And I think just the way they went about it, Um, they didn't have to deal with answering more of those, what went wrong, how did this impact you uh, type of questions with that negative framework all around it. Um, I think it showed their confidence, like they showed their confidence outwardly, but they also, you saw it almost like snowball in real time on the field, I think. And multiple guys talked about that too, how they really just played complimentary football Today And it started with that Denzel pick six on the first drive of the game. Um, and I think it snowballed in a positive way for them. So overall the vibes I felt were just that relief that uh, they were able to put this behind them relatively quickly and not let it impact them on Sunday. And then again, that confidence from the way they actually went out there and produced.
1: So what do we think then? I think, and, and, and with that, we shall never say the name Odell Beckham jr. Again on the orange or Brown talk podcast, everyone take a pledge. I swear. I will not. Good luck to Odell Beckham Jr. We'll see where he lands. He very well may wind up facing the Browns this season, but there's the, there's the, his, you know, his life, his career, that's important, but this is a Browns podcast. We're talking to Browns fans and he hasn't played for the Browns anymore. How big Mary Kay let's talk about the quarterback who is here. Mm -hmm. Baker Mayfield said after the game, Odell's his friend. They still haven't talked. He wishes him well. Where do you really think, in the end, Baker was emotionally about this? And we know he likes to be doubted. Where do you think he was sort of mentally and emotionally this whole week, and how did that play out on Sunday in your mind?
2: Oh, he used this, uh, you know, just like a a vampire uses blood. I mean, this is... (laughs) This is, this is Baker Mayfield. This is what he is made of. Uh, You know, I, I'm working on another Baker Odell story right now. And I'm like, Odell, he didn't, he hasn't had a chance to wish Odell happy birthday yet, but this is going to be the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, he used this to get his game face on, to get his team to rally around him. The pregame speech I'm sure was emotional. Uh, This was, you know, Baker Mayfield was really, really hurt, really. I don't care what he says about not being hurt. He was really hurt about that video, about Odell, uh, you know, not reaching out to him, you know, not putting a comment on the video, not saying, hey, this isn't me. This is my dad. I mean, this was painful. Uh, this was scorched earth. And and Baker Mayfield can whip himself up into a frenzy. I mean, if you just look back at his college career, he was all about this and if it wasn't coming naturally he would manufacture it this is who he is and what he thrives on now can he sustain it we'll see might be hard to keep that going unless Odell Beckham Jr. you know maybe ends up playing with the New England Patriots on Sunday or with the Ravens a couple weeks from now i mean or with even maybe with the Raiders uh but uh you know that's what was going on out there today was Baker Mayfield uh, using the emotion of the week to come out and kick some tail.
1: So 14 of 21 for Baker, 218 passing yards, two sacks, two touchdowns, no picks. Jarvis Landry, five targets, nobody else more than three, eight different guys caught at least one pass for, for the other three of you. Like, how did, how did you think Baker play? Dan, Ashley, Scott, like what was, was it good? Was he average? Did he miss some throws? What'd you think of the football?
3: I Thought he was okay. I, I didn't think he played great. I, I mean, he he got off to a, a nice start, but I, I was just looking. I mean, he threw for ninety-seven yards in the second half, um, seven to thirteen, and he missed some throws. Uh, you know, in the red zone they struggled. He took some sacks. There, there were still there were still issues there from Baker Mayfield today. It was not a perfect. This was more of like, oh man, Nick Chubb is back, right? I mean that. Chubb doesn't run break that big run. Are we sitting here talking about Cincinnati making this game closer? Probably not because the defense was so good, but you know, I thought Baker was fine. I, I didn't come away from this thinking he played an incredible game. But if this is the performance you get from Baker the rest of the year with the shoulder and, and adjusting to, to how this offense is going to look, I, I think you can live with this.
4: Yeah, I mean, this is this is efficient game 101. This is what Kevin Stefanski's offense, uh. <clears throat> uses. And I mean, they, they didn't have as many drives there for a while. And so maybe, you know, a game, it goes a little differently. You don't have a pick six right off the bat. Maybe he gets uh, in the mid twenties, high twenties with his attempts. But, uh, but I mean, it was like, I think his fifth highest passer rating of his career and he threw two touchdown passes. Mary Kay doesn't have to worry about him throwing in more <laughs> touchdown passes. He's, he's up to where he should be. Right. Uh, but, no, he, it was efficient. He did what he had to do. And he made the important throws. And that's the big thing. I mean, the thing to what we want making the, the, the pass to DPJ was big because that's the pass he missed, to, you know, Odell Beckham jr. Who's I know we're not allowed to say his name anymore, but he missed that pass against the Vikings and we come away from that game. Kind of, you know, not really sure where, where things were with the passing game this time he makes it and it's a different story.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would just say for me, looking at the numbers and stuff from him today doesn't necessarily exist in a vacuum. Like I do like to factor in the whole picture of he's playing with this hurt shoulder, still all the stuff that happened in the lead up to this week. And kind of to steal Scott's point there, he made the important throws. Like he, he connected on all those. And I think he completed like 10 of his first 12 passes. Um, I don't have the, those first half stats just in front of me, but I mean, he came out and really did what he needed to do in the midst of, all this noise that we've been talking about. And for me, that was the most impressive
1: aspect of this whole day in his game. All right, we want to dive in more into the defense, some other things happen with the Browns. We'll do that next on the Orange and Brown Talk Podcast. Back with the whole gang. Make sure you guys are getting the insider info, man. How could you not get the insider info? The Browns are so interesting. Go to Cleveland.com slash Browns. I think there's a blue banner there. You click on it, you'll figure it out. You sign up. It's worth it. I swear it's worth it. Holidays are coming buy yourself a gift, get Brown's insider from cleveland.com Mary Kay. We talk about turnovers and forcing turnovers a lot with this defense. I still have a hard time with this because I still think a lot of turnover stuff is random is luck. Miles said after the game, they can come in bunches, but Zach Taylor, the Cincinnati coach was saying about that Denzel Ward pick he said he needed to look at it on film. It was like, is it was Joe Burrow late on the throw, or was there something the Bengals did wrong? And Zach Taylor was saying, like, I'm not sure. It might just be a great play by a great corner. So I do think the idea of you get enough great defensive players, Denzel Ward, Miles Garrett, John W. or John Johnson the third, and they start playing at their best. And this is part of what they do. And so I think you did see some of that that. That to me is not coincidental. Great defensive players making great plays, but I mean, Mary Kay, it's night and day. Forcing well, forcing takeaways and not forcing takeaways. It's like they're a different defense, and they were all over it today.
2: Yeah, it it was night and day. Now, I I do think uh, again, I think that the Browns had a lot to do with um, with Jamar Chase having a really bad, a pretty bad game today. You know, six of thirteen. Uh, So he didn't even catch 50% of his targets. um, And he dropped two passes that could have gone for touchdowns. It was almost like he was hearing footsteps. Um, But, uh, you know, I do think that... um, the Denzel thing was a really, really good play. I think they saw some things on film, especially after watching other teams and what they did against Jamar Chase. There were a couple other games this year, including the Jets game where, you know, he didn't have much production. He didn't play well. And so I think they studied that film and they saw what they could do. And, um, and I watched these guys practice those takeaways more than any other team. I've, I've watched practice takeaways. These guys do it. Like you would not even believe in practice all the time. So I knew they were going to start coming. I think it's really good for them that John Johnson three has woken up because it was like, where has he been? He needed to get comfortable in in this defense and he needed to sort of figure out his role and his place. And I think that that is going to help them going forward. I really think that um, they needed him to be the leader on and off, you know, on the field the way that he was off the field. So I think that will help, but uh, the takeaways are, are just absolutely enormous. And I think, you know, some of it comes from the pressure that they're getting up front. I I just think that this is what this defense is capable of. And I think this is going to jumpstart them for the rest of the season.
1: Greedy Williams went out early today, right? Didn't see much greedy. So it was a lot of, it was Denzel Ward and Greg Newsome. I had predicted Jamar chase would set a career high with catches. It was eight coming into this game. They targeted him 13 times. They tried like they force fed their number one guy. But as Mary Kay said, only six receptions, Scott, you had made the point that the Browns had not been good against number one receivers. What do you take away? Is this a story of Denzel Ward and Greg Newsome elevating their level of play or what was it that they actually did kind of shut down a, a legit number one receiver today? Receiver today?
4: Uh, can I, can I steal? dan's phrase from our uh, post-game video and just say bengals this is the bengals uh I, I don't know what it is but bengals number one receivers they, some of those dudes have had a rough time playing the browns over the years whether it's been joe hayden or denzel ward out there uh browns uh have often come out uh, uh on the right end of those competitions i yeah the list is long i mean like Tyreek Kill, Brandon Cooks, Justin Jefferson, Mike Williams, DeAndre Hopkins—all those guys scored touchdowns uh, against the Browns. Uh, Deontay Johnson didn't, but he had uh, some big catches last week. So yeah, and then you come into this game and you're thinking, "Geez, Chase, Jamar Chase, third in the in the league in in receiving yards and receiving touchdowns. This is this could be bad." <laughs> and it was a, uh like a lot of guys contributed to it. It wasn't just Denzel, and it wasn't just Greg News. I mean, AJ Green, I think was on him at least once. Um, uh, I know some safeties came up in coverage a couple of times, but there were a lot of contested catches and that's normal for the Bengals. Like I think T Higgins is second in the league in contested throws or contested targets. And Jamar chase had like 11 coming into this game. So that's, but they win those, like, that's how they've won a lot of these games. Those guys are winning those matchups. They didn't do it today. And I think PFF in their preliminary uh, look at the game gave chase one, drop i'm not sure which one that would have been but he also had the fumble too but yeah it was just out of the ordinary for sure for them to have this kind of game against the number one receiver and it just i mean it came at the right time obviously
1: so actually specifically the, the denzel ward 99 yard pick six to open the game greatest play in brown's history or no Doug, uh, I'm like
0: 28 years old. You can't ask me the greatest play in Browns history questions. I don't even, like, remember when the team was here before 1999. I was, like, three when they left. Oh, wow. Give me a uh, different question, Doug. Come on.
1: Do you believe – how do you characterize that kind of momentum swing, right? That Do you think this game would have played out differently if – the Bengals catch that throw and they go up 7 nothing or do you think the Browns had something anyway and Baker would have come out and they would have marched up how, how, how I'm trying to get a characterization of just how big it is to open a game with a 99-yard pick six.
0: You're asking me a lot of unanswerable questions <laughs> there but well, I will no say the one, there's no wrong answer. I know, I know, I know, but I will say like it, it was interesting when John Johnson III was talking, how he brought up, like, that could be a 14-point swing. It could be a 10-point swing. Like, we don't know, right? And, like, we saw what the Bengals did today. uh It's a possibility that they don't even get a touchdown on that play. um But I think based on what we saw today and what people said after the fact, that it was a huge, huge difference. Like, it not only – like, Miles Garrett was talking about how, you know, these turnovers – when you create those takeaways, it becomes kind of like a contagious thing that each guy wants to get the next one, and we saw them do that, essentially. Um, it fuels the guys on offense to do something with that takeaway once they get it. So in those terms, it is an unanswerable question. I know I gave you a hard time, but you know I do think that really, really set the tone for this one, and you can't overstate how important it was to kick this game off.
1: So Dan, there was a moment when the Browns were ahead 24 to 7 when I thought to myself, the Bengals are playing better. They're the better team, but the Browns are winning 24 to 7 because at that point they had the 99yard pick six. They had the 60yard touchdown, which is just like Donovan People's Jones smoking Eli Apple and a play action working. like it's just kind of a one-time thing. You know, the Bengals had marched and tied the score at 7-7 after the Browns went ahead. So like the Brown, you know, the Bengals marched right down the field 2 75 yard drives to open the game. It's just one of them ended in a touchdown for the Browns. Uh, I've been wondering about this this season. I thought about it when they when the Browns played the Chargers, but that the Browns have a year of winning under their belt. They've been through this. These guys sort of know this like the Bengals don't. And when you see the Bengals, the Bengals like routed the Ravens and their next two games after that are losing to the Jets. And getting smoked by the Browns in a game where actually, like, they were they played okay, except for the huge mistakes. Do you believe in that? Do you believe that the Browns are at a place where the things they did last season with Kevin Stefanski, with this core of players, those things helped them? in a moment like this and a team like the Bengals, they are a year behind in that evolution. And maybe a year from now, the Bengals will be saying like, Oh yeah, we beat the Ravens. We thought we were cool. Then we lost to the jets and the Browns. And we realized, man, we got to, we got to lock it down. Is that real?
3: I think there is something to that, but I don't know if that's necessarily why the Browns won this game today. I think from a defensive standpoint, there were just moments where the Browns made a play and I'm not just talking the turnovers, but the Browns made a play that changed a Bengals drive. So before the 60-yard touchdown pass, Troy Hill sacks Joe Burrow. And then on fourth down, they get a little pressure on Burrow and Troy Hill breaks up a pass. Browns get the ball back. They hit the 60-yard touchdown. Um, You know, before Denzel Ward's pick six, Miles Garrett had a third down sack. You know, the the defense had stopped the Bengals, but Malik McDowell lined up in the neutral zone. That would end up turning out better for the Browns, but the Browns had gotten a stop. There was another drive, and I can't remember specifically where it was, when when Miles got a sack on, I think, second down, and it set up a third and long, and the Bengals threw short to Jamar Chase or something, and, and they didn't convert. And I just think there were little moments like that where the Browns' defense stepped up and made a play, and I don't know if that had anything to do with them being ahead of the Bengals necessarily, but, I mean, I do think you're right. I think the Browns are ahead of the Bengals as far as their build is concerned. Uh, but but I don't know if that was a factor today. I think this was just the Browns made plays at the right times, and it wasn't just the sixty yard pass. It wasn't just three turnovers. It was things like Miles Garrett getting a sack on a on a second down and setting up a third long, or you know Troy Hill making his two sacks and and one of them putting the Bengals way behind the sticks. It, it was kind of little moments like that too.
2: Doug, do you mind if I ask you something?
1: Yes, absolutely. Go ahead. <laughs>
2: I'm just curious, um, do you sort, are you sort of, I don't know, um, let's just say from like a a fan standpoint that perhaps some of this was a mirage and not to be, uh, you know, people shouldn't necessarily hang their hats on this game for one reason or another. I don't know. I'm sensing some trepidation on your part about like, you know, getting, you know, reading too much into what this means.
1: No, I, I wouldn't exactly say that I I really think Denzel's play changed the game and I think maybe that was the emotional swing more than the Odell stuff was because I just think like the defense which wound up making a bunch of critical plays started the game by letting the Bengals march down the field twice and and the only thing that happened like you know was that Denzel ran it back and if that instead is like, they get the touchdown at seven nothing. Say even Baker gets a drive, but the Bengals march down again. I just I wonder about that. I I think there is something to knowing how to win. So I'm I'm sort of curious about. I'm apprehensive about some of the particulars, but that on a day like this, that a team that has been to the playoffs with a coach who's taken them to the playoffs with guys like John Johnson, who's been through it, and Miles and Baker and Nick Chubb and Joel Batonio, all those guys have been through it now. Like they knew what to do and the Bengals have talented players and they were like, cool, we beat the Ravens. And then it was like, Oh no, we're screwing up again and again and again. I do think that was real. I I, I think that's real. So I don't, I, I, I don't, I wouldn't say I think it's a mirage, but I just, I can't, I'm stuck on the Denzel play. I think the Denzel play is ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's, it is, I think it's like a line in the sand, potentially, of like this team for the next couple of years that Denzel Ward's pick six started, got them back on track. So do you disagree um, with that? What do you think? Do you think no, I'm, too, I'm too miragey?
2: No, I, I think we'll see. I, I think um, I think it remains to be seen, like we have said, you know, what was this a watershed moment? Was this a sea changing type of game and was that you know the the biggest play that kind of turns the season we we will find out I mean this is I think it's going to be a dog fight it looks like all the way to the end but one thing I didn't realize as I was uh, looking through some stats yesterday on some things is um, the Ravens pass defense is 32nd in the NFL so the Browns have two games against the Ravens which up until today had the 32nd Ranked pass defense, which shed some light for me on the Bengals victory over them. And it started uh, and, to be- and
3: also Mary Kay, that the Ravens just lost uh, Deshaun Elliott too for the season. I know.
2: I know. So I I mean, when you don't have Marcus Peters and then you just lost your starting safety in Elliott, they keep taking one hit after another. And so it just kind of put a different spin for me a little bit on the Bengals victory and why that happened because I couldn't figure it out. Um, and, and I think it informs what the Browns might be, uh, looking forward to when they play the Ravens twice. I mean, they're just going to try to, I mean, it, it, it's probably going to be a shootout, but they're just going to try to take full advantage of their pick your poison offense against the 32nd ranked, uh, pass so, defense.
3: So kind of a- along this line, I think what I when I think about this game and what I saw today, this, this felt like a game where the Browns were able to do what – they were able to be who they want to be, right? Run the football. Baker Mayfield hits the one big play. That, that, by the way, that, that second pass to Jonathan Peoples-Jones was a great throw, too, um, when hmm. Peoples-Jones it in and, and yep. got checked for a concussion. That was a great throw. This was who the Browns want to be offensively. They didn't have to really play out a character. They didn't have to do something they were uncomfortable with. This was the Browns being the Browns. We'll see, you know, are they going to be able to do that against New England's defense next week? I don't know. You know, we'll find out. So I I don't know that this is like a a watershed moment in the sense that, okay, now they're just going to take off and and go crazy. But it was good to sort of see the Browns of 2020 again. And now, you know, eventually you're going to throw Kareem Hunt back into the mix. You feel good about the defense coming out of this game. So I, I think that's sort of what this game symbolizes to me. We may look back on it at the end of the year and say it was, but, but I think if nothing else, we can look at this game and say, Oh yeah, I I remember that offense. I remember that football team from last year. And now you add in a really good defense. If they can sustain that, that, that's what gets, that's, what's really important.
1: Let's hit two more big picture questions. We'll go around the horn for quick answers on these before we get out of here. And by the way, I still, I think we all agree on this. When JLK comes back, I think that has a chance to level up this defense again. I think, I think we almost, Not that you forget how good he is, but my gosh, I just think that's going to be such a huge deal to get him back. So let's focus on the defense real quickly. Scale of one to 10, your belief in the defense right now, because the defense last week against Pittsburgh absolutely did its job. The defense again does its job with, and then piles takeaways on top of it today against a a great young quarterback and a great young receiver and an offense that had played pretty well this year. One is no faith. 10 is extreme faith in this defense to play at a high level the rest of this season. Mary Kay, where are you on a scale of one to 10?
2: I'm going to go about uh, seven and a half or eight right now, because I think it just, it needed to come together. I mean, and a lot of it was this guy's out, that guy's out. uh, This guy's hurt. You know, Greg Newsom's not in. Uh, I, I think that last year it took the offense half the season to wake up and snap into focus I think this season, it took the defense the first half of the season to figure out what it was all about, and I think they turned the corner today, and I think they will ascend from here.
1: Man, you just changed my answer with that comparison of the offense from last year. <laughs> I was not going to go as high, but I'm going to go seven now, too. I think that's a great way to think about it. Very persuasive, Mary Kay. You should be Thank on you. the podcast more often. Um, <laughs> Ashley, what's your number?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's almost like Mary Kay knows what she's talking about, right? I was going to say seven or eight too, and now I just sound like I'm copying her. But I, I mean, that's truthfully where I'm at. I mean, they've had all of these missing pieces. Like Mary Kay said, again, I'm parroting her, but it come it's coming together, hopefully, right? And they still, like you said, Doug, get to get JOK back. And you know, I don't think they played perfectly today. They obviously didn't play perfectly against Pittsburgh, and I think they were honest about that. And I know, you know, 15 points should have been enough to win that game, but there were still some things they could have cleaned up. If they keep rolling with this, and especially if these takeaways become contagious, yeah, I mean, I could see that number rising even higher, but I'll be, I'll be generous with my rating right now.
4: Scott, what about you? Damn, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how I want to answer this because I feel like we talked about this after the Vikings game. Uh, and things took a turn for the worse uh, after that. Uh, I'll say six point five just because I want to be different, um, and I just don't want to go as high as before. I, yeah, these back-to-back games—it's—it's it's been really good, and this today's game obviously more so than last week, just based on who they are playing, and the fact that they were able to. I mean, stopping the run, they they do that, whatever. But the fact that they were able to make plays in the passing game was big. That's just they've really struggled to do that on a consistent basis this season. So I was going to say six point five, and just against the Patriots, maybe maybe raise up a little more. Dan,
3: I I feel bad because everybody else said like seven, but I, but I think I'm going to say seven too. That that's sort of the the number that jumped in my head. It's, it's seven. It's worth noting, Joe Burrow. This is the first game. He didn't throw a touchdown pass this season. He had thrown multiple touchdown passes in every single game this year. And he had thrown three in the last two games consecutively. So this was an impressive performance. And the reason I feel good about it is I I think I said last week that I wasn't really impressed with the defense, even though they gave up 15 points. I just, I wasn't impressed with that performance. But today, the thing that concerned me was I had, we're not that far removed from them just deciding not to cover DeAndre Hopkins. Mm -hmm. And that didn't happen today. These receivers didn't run free. Guys were covered. Jamar Chase had two drops, but they did a nice job on Chase, especially early in the game. So I, I feel good about where this team is at, especially if you're moving forward with Denzel Ward and Greg Newsom as your starting corners.
1: You know, that is interesting. If they had had several breakdowns in coverage, we'd be talking about all the breakdowns in coverage. And so we probably should note it it feels like they didn't have any breakdowns in coverage that almost everything was contested, even the stuff that the Bengals caught. So I do think that is significant. And I, that's, there were a lot of Joe Woods questions after those moments where it's like, man, black Dag didn't have a defender within 10 yards of him. And we aren't asking those questions after a game like this. So I think we have to acknowledge this. Let's go big, 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 big. go ahead, Scott.
4: I was going to say, but the thing to remember is the Bengals have a lot of contested catches. So I think we need to see this again to make sure that they're on the right track because th- that's what the Bengals, that's how they operate. There's just, they're, they're not going to have a ton of guys running free. Not that it was a bad game by the Browns secondary, but it's,
1: that's how the Bengals operate. That's a, sh- that seems like a shot at Zach Taylor, Is that a shot at Zach Taylor, like you can't get anybody open. All right. Here's the final question. As we record this at 7:42 PM on Sunday, the Titans and the Ravens have two losses in the AFC The Chargers, Bills, Raiders, and Steelers have three losses. So that is six teams with three losses or fewer. And then the Patriots, Chiefs, Browns, Bengals, and Broncos are all five and four. This is a crazy jumbled group of playoff contenders in the AFC. But again, it's fair. You're a Browns fan. Everybody listen to this. You care about your team. Sometimes you're not tracking everybody else. The Bills lost to the Jaguars today. The Raiders lost to the Giants today. The Ravens had to go to overtime against the Vikings today. The Chargers barely beat the Eagles today. The Chiefs only scored 13 points against the Packers today. Everybody, and by the way, the team in the AFC with the best record just lost its best player and the whole heart of its whole team with Derrick Henry and the Titans. So everybody's got problems. Dan, we'll start with you. I'm not going to make a number on this, but I just want everyone to give like their little 30-second evaluation of where they think the Browns are in the playoff race. Does this feel like this is a team that's headed towards the postseason right now, knowing that there's like 12 teams fighting for seven spots?
3: They're where they need to be right now. They're five and four. They are ninth right now. uh, When when you factor in all the tiebreakers, they play New England in seventh next week. At worst, if they go to New England and lose, they're going to turn around and beat the Lions. So at worst, they're going to be six and five. When, when they head to Baltimore for that first matchup. They might be 7-4. and four. So they're in a good spot right now, and they have everything in front of them. They still play the Ravens twice. They play the Raiders. They play the Steelers again. They play the Bengals again. It, it's still all out in front of them, whatever they want. They can win their way into the playoffs. They can even win their way into a division title. It, it's kind of their destiny is in their hands still, which, which is where you kind of want to be especially after what happened last week. I mean, that could have been a disastrous loss and now it's not
0: Ashley. Yeah. I mean, I would say that I feel like they're kind of parroting again, what Dan says, where they need to be with the promising thing room to get better. Um, and again, we already talked about how JOK, you know, they're going to get him back. Uh, hopefully they can get Jack Conklin back on offense to really help, you know, stabilize that unit there. But I really, after today, have a lot more confidence in them than I did throughout the course of this week. And just given how crazy everything was and not really fully being convinced that they were going to respond to all of the OBJ stuff the way that they did today, um, I'm I'm fairly high on them right now. I think I, I like their chances. And I think the fact that the AFC is so tight right now actually only helps them given how much room I think they still have to grow.
1: Shout out, by the way, to Hans, because if, if the Bengals yeah. sacked Baker nine times today, I would have been and saying he, Hans, but Hans did his job, right? I mean, it wasn't he's, like he's been
0: doing his job. Yeah, I, he has been doing his job. So um, I think that's also fair to note. But again, I, I think we all know how important Jack Conklin is to the offensive line and things like that. That's why I bring him up. But um, Blake Hans has stepped in about as admirably as you can in that situation, I think.
4: go. Before I, before I get into that, I just want to say that. You, you said everybody's got problems and I just want to everybody to acknowledge the missed opportunity there that you had. You went with the, uh, I think rejected title of an REM song and they changed to a much better title that you should have used there, <laughs> but we're not talking about that. So I won't bring it up. anymore. I'm just saying everybody hurts, man. That's all everybody you had to say. No,
1: I know, I know I should work REM and more. I'll try that.
4: Yes. And that that's really probably the theme song of the AFC this year. Cause yeah, I mean, Look, I picked them to go 10 and 7. They're right where they, they need to be. And nobody's taken off the team with six wins as Tennessee. And like you said, they just lost a huge part of their offense. It's, it's wide open. And if you're going to have a year where you're dealing with a lot of injuries and guys just coming and going on both sides of the ball, Browns picked the right, <laughs> the right time to do it. And the fact that they've made it through this far at 5 and 4 is, they're in a good place last
1: word to you, Mary Kay.
2: Yeah, I've been saying all along when I first saw this schedule come out that the AFC North would probably be won or lost in those weeks where the Browns play the Ravens back to back. Now, we know the Ravens went to six and two today. I still feel like that. I still feel like it all hinges right there on those two games. And I really believe that, um, that the Browns are going to match up very, very well. Now that I realize that, uh, that they've got the worst pass defense in the NFL and they just lost their starting safety. Uh, so I think things are looking really, really good for the Browns. Now they do have uh, the, a really tough schedule the rest of the way. Uh, but those two games uh, should be winnable for the, them. Maybe not both of them, but they should be able to win at least one of them. And if they can do that, uh, I think they have a really, really good chance of either winning the division or still making the playoffs. So I think they're in good shape.
1: All right. Thanks, you guys, for listening to another post game version of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Again, make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash Browns. We got we just have a ton of stuff up there. And if you're not subscribed to the YouTube channel, you go on YouTube, you search uh, Cleveland Browns, cleveland.com. Ah, put Mary Kay Cabot. I don't know. That'll probably pop up. And then you can watch our post-game videos and, and everything else that the Browns players and coaches, when they talk during the week, David Anderson does a great job with that. And then we have us uh, talk and people talking after practice during the week. Make sure you're subscribed to that YouTube channel as well. So for now, the Browns are five and four. They beat the Bengals 41-16. For Dan Lobby, Ashley Bastock, Scott Pasco, and Mary Kay Cabot, I'm Doug LaMaurice. Thanks for listening to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast.